0: And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And when they went out and preached everywhere, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. May God bless to us this reading from His holy word. A number of years ago, uh, a great uh, revival occurred. Uh, And by the way, I, I use a couple of different terms. Revival generally refers to how the church is restored to her calling and destiny in the lord Uh, historically churches kind of ebb and flow uh, and so we need to be revived awakening uh, refers to the general uh, population of a city or region or a country coming to faith in christ in large numbers Uh, and sometimes awakenings lead to revivals and sometimes revivals lead to awakenings but many people, when they talk about revival or they talk about awakening, they use those terms interchangeably, but they're not completely interchangeable. That's just your brief little history lesson there. But a number of years ago, uh, a revival occurred in a Central American country, a particular city uh, in Central America And it was really quite astounding. It was a city that had been riddled with crime, uh, had been riddled with poverty, uh, where the churches were at odds with one another. People were not responding to the gospel. Uh, They were not listening. And and God poured out His Holy Spirit and the churches uh, began to grow. Uh, They were revived. They were restored. The ministers started, pastors started working together. The church leaders started working together. And as an outflow of that... It even affected the land of that community so that the community was growing vegetables uh, more bountifully and larger than ever before. They had enormously large-sized vegetables for uh, a number of years that brought a, a greater degree of prosperity into the city. Uh, they also had situations where uh, fathers stopped drinking and, and spending all their, their money on, uh, on alcohol, and they became responsible husbands uh, to their families, uh, and the children were growing up. And it was just an amazing thing, because not only was the church affected, not only were people coming to faith in Christ, but even the very land of that city was affected by this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, by what God was doing. A few years after this, uh, in another nation in the South Pacific, an island in the South Pacific, again, there was a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the church. The church was revived, and on this island, uh, they had had a problem for many, many years because they had just about fished out uh, the area around the island, so the islanders were having to go further and further away to catch the fish that was the staple of their diet. And one of the things that happened after this mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they noticed that miraculously, the fish returned to their waters. And what had been virtually dead in terms of fish all of a sudden became alive and vibrant. Back in the Hebridean revival in 49 to 53, it was one of a number of revivals that happened up there. But one of the things that they talked about during that revival is that alcohol had become a very big problem on the island and a, a lot of men had started to getting together in what they called drinking houses. Now this was not like a pub, this was literally a place where men could bring their booze and drink together and gamble and do all those kinds of things. And one of the the, the outcomes of that mighty move of God was that people began to notice how the drinking houses all over the island were being closed and There was righteousness coming into the society. And marriages were getting healthier. uh, Society was functioning better. It was extraordinary to see what was happening there. And actually, if you look throughout history, and revivals have occurred uh, uh, generation after generation in the kingdom of God, as you look throughout history, you see the same kinds of things where there's a mighty move of God's Holy Spirit where the church is rejuvenated, where a nation might even be awakened, and God does mighty things, not only in the churches, but also amongst the nation as a whole. I mean, even with the United States, many people think of the United States as a quote-unquote Christian nation. Uh, It's never really been a quote-unquote Christian nation. But what is true about the United States, most people don't realize, is that if you look in the early 1700s, Uh, in the united states no more than three or four percent of people went to church most of the people in the colonies at that time because before it was the united states most of the people had no connection to church whatsoever and then there was a mighty outpouring of god's holy spirit called the great awakening and within a generation that 4% which by the way is about the same as in the United Kingdom today that 4% had gone to almost 50% of the the people in those colonies united together in the body of Christ it was just extraordinary to see what happened there and you know and I, and I don't often mention in the UK about how that was instrumental in the colonies uniting together against British rule, because that's a bit of a sore spot for some people even today. So I I won't bring that up and remind uh, everybody about what happened historically. But what most people don't realize is the United States never would have come into existence had it not been for the Great Awakening, and that's a historical reality. Now, all of these stories, all of these are true. All of these are heavily documented. All of these stories leads us to ask ourselves a very important question. Is our gospel too small? Is our gospel too small? For many people, for a very, very long time, if you said, what is the gospel, people will say, well, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, so that if you believe in him, you'll have eternal life. And what we've done by portraying that as the gospel, we've actually reduced the gospel to a personal experience of God that will lead to one day in some future existence after we die, some fire insurance so that we don't end up hell in hell, but we go to heaven, which we don't really know what it's going to be like. We don't have a real concept of it, but that's the idea. It's a personal experience. So it's no wonder that so many people have rejected it or so many people say, well, hey, I will wait. You know, If that's just what it is, if that's all the gospel is about, then why don't you wait until the day before you die, come to faith in Christ, get all your sins forgiven, and in the meantime, live your life as you want to live it with all the sin and all of that now you might say well okay well we don't know how long we're going to live uh and uh and we could die at any moment which is absolutely true but frankly let's play the odds most of us are going to live to probably be at least 70 years old so why don't we wait till we're 69 and then when we're 69 we become a christian and then we have our fire insurance, kind of like our life insurance in this world. We have our fire insurance. We get our get out of hell free card in Jesus Christ. And we go to heaven when we die in the next year. And in the meantime, we've had a great time living our life with all the pleasure and things that we want to live. Is that the gospel? Clearly it's not. But unfortunately, it's been reduced to that by so many people for such a long time. We've lost track of everything that God is saying in his word about what this gospel is, about all that Jesus has come to do, about all that God has for us. God has more than your individual personal salvation in mind when he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross and rise from the dead. The whole creation today is actually groaning for the gospel that's what paul tells us in romans chapter 8 he says the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of god in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of god the whole creation is longing to experience salvation and people in our world they're longing to see the world experience salvation no matter what you think of the extinction rebellion movement and it does have some very ungodly foundations but no matter what you think of it it at its best it is a desire to save our planet It is a desire to save creation. It is a desire to save the world. It is a desire to to have a world for another generation. The longing is there to see something good happen. No matter what you think about communism, and I am definitely not a fan of communism, and I think communism has led to some of the worst atrocities that this world has ever seen. Just think Stalin and Chairman Mao... No matter what you think of communism, communism at its best was a desire to see a society where everybody has jobs, everybody has a house, everybody has stability, everybody has a family, everybody has a sense of security. It's a longing on part of people to see something godly, if you will, happen in our world. The problem is that every attempt of something like communism or Extinction Rebellion, and I'm not saying that Extinction Rebellion is communistic or anything like that, I'm not equating the two by just using these examples. No matter what you think about them, they're always doomed to failure. Because none of them have ever, in the history of humanity, and there's been hundreds if not thousands of movements like this in the history of humanity none of them ever take into account human sinfulness and the power of evil none of them ever have a truly realistic view of humanity a truly realistic view of our world and so they will always be doomed to failure none of them will ever ultimately succeed even as even the best nations of the world will have their ups and downs and may one day even disintegrate potentially even the United States. I think our gospel has been way too small. We've looked for individual salvation, but we've not seen that God's plan, God's purposes is the salvation of all creation. And no wonder so many people don't want to be part of it. If it's just for you and yourself alone, there's some benefit in that. But there's no imagination. There's, it's just self-centered fulfillment instead of engagement with the true gospel that involves something far greater than our own personal salvation, although it includes our own personal salvation. And we see this very, very clearly in various places of the scriptures. I've already mentioned uh, Romans chapter 8. You can see this to another degree in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But in terms of the commands of Jesus, we see this most clearly here in the text we read today from Mark chapter 16. Now, Jesus has several great commissions that he gives to his disciples. Matthew 28 18 to 20 is not the only great commission. Uh, The Gospel of John has one, uh, Acts has one. Uh, It's throughout the Scriptures, and you might think, well, these are all in contradiction to one another. They're not, because remember, after his resurrection, Jesus was here on the earth for 40 days before his ascension, teaching his disciples, and so it's completely realistic that he would have taught all these different things to his disciples. And in this word that Jesus gives his disciples today... It involves a command, a promise, and signs, indicators of its fulfillment. And so let's look at each part of that. First of all, it's the command. What does Jesus command people to do here, his disciples to do? He says here, and and you can look at this here in uh, verse 15. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Now notice here, he doesn't say disciple the creation like he does uh, make disciples, uh, disciple the nations as he does there in Matthew 28. But he says proclaim the gospel to all the creation. So we are commanded to go into all the world, not just our own little corner of the world, to every part of the world, no matter how corrupt, no matter how good, no matter how bad, no matter how north or how south or how east or how west, we are commanded to go into all the world. This gospel is for the the whole world and everybody that lives in the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And when you're talking about the world there in John 3.16, it's not just the people, it's the whole creation, it's the whole cosmos, it's everything that has anything to do with us as human beings, as well as the world around us. So we're commanded to go into all the world, we're commanded to proclaim the gospel. This means that we need to use words. It's really popular today in a lot of circles to say, uh, it, uh, I believe it was Francis of Assisi that first said, you know, uh, proclaim the gospel when necessary, use words. Uh, and there is no proclamation of the gospel without words. Now, there are Muslims that do good things, there are Hindus that do good things, there are Buddhists that do good things, there are Jews that do good things, and there are Christians that do good things. The only way to distinguish those is through the proclamation of the gospel. We are to speak. We are to proclaim. And interestingly here, we are to proclaim this not only to people. We're to proclaim this to the entire Croatian. Croatian. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, for for our friends in Croatia, we're to (laughs) proclaim this to the entire Croatian. You know, not the part of the Croatian the entire, Christ. we're to proclaim this to all the creation. You know, in a I I know this is going to sound weird, but you can proclaim the gospel to your cat or to your dog. You can proclaim the gospel to the mountains. You can proclaim the gospel to the animals. You can proclaim the gospel to the cities. You can proclaim the gospel to the farms. You proclaim the gospel wherever we go to everything it's not limited just to people although it's especially for people we proclaim the gospel into all creation just like we saw in that uh, central american revival it affected not only the churches and not only the people but it affected the plants it affected the crops the gospel was applied it was proclaimed in those and it brought an outcome it brought a change but we are to proclaim the gospel and we need to know what we're proclaiming when we're proclaiming the gospel. If we're proclaiming Jesus died on the cross, you make him your personal savior and your personal Lord, we're not proclaiming the right thing. Do you know what? Jesus is savior whether or not he, you're saved. Jesus is Lord whether or not you follow him. There's nothing, you know, you don't make him your personal Lord. There's nothing personal about it. Jesus is cosmically Lord and Savior. You personally surrender to him. But that doesn't make him your personal Savior. As if you can put him in a little box and say, hey, look at this. Here's my personal Savior. Let me show you the picture on my phone. Here's my personal Savior that's a distortion of the gospel that is not the gospel so what is the gospel remember what jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand repent and believe what the good news the gospel the gospel is that the kingdom of god is here now jesus christ is the king And through his life, death, and resurrection, by grace through faith in him, we are transferred into his kingdom and we become part of his kingdom advancement in the world today until Jesus comes again and the whole universe comes under his lordship and his kingship. That's the reality of the gospel it means that you get engaged by grace through faith in the transformation of this planet in the here and now, realizing it won't be fully transformed until the day that Jesus Christ comes again and he brings everything under his control and he unites everything in heaven and on earth together in the reality of him under his lordship in obedience to the Father who is in the heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit that's the reality of the good news the good news is not just that okay now you're safe so hunker down in a corner somewhere and then wait until hopefully jesus comes again before people find you out or you you're kicked in the backside by satan or something happens to you and maybe you lose that salvation that's not the gospel The gospel is, hey, now you're saved, so you can be bold and you can take risks and you can live boldly and fully under the Lordship, under the leadership, under the kingship of Jesus Christ, knowing that your sins are forgiven, the power of sin is broken over your life, demons do not have control over your life. There is nothing in this world that can separate you from the love of God, so you can live boldly and you can live fully to advance His kingdom purposes in the earth, no matter where you you are and no matter how big or how small you think it is you might think your life is small but the promise of the gospel is that you're united in this kingdom reality that means even the little things you do like raising your children to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior like serving faithfully in the marketplace even the little things you do have a big impact in the kingdom of God going forward that's the gospel And that's what we're proclaiming to the creation. That's what we're proclaiming to people. It's not get saved and go to heaven. It's get saved and get with it. Walking with Jesus as your king. And going forth boldly. That's our command. We proclaim that gospel to the whole creation. And as the church, we are together the embodiment, the living out of that gospel to the whole creation. And so what's the promise? Now, the promise in all of this is that whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And again, the salvation here is not you get your sins forgiven and you get a free pass into heaven, although that's part of it. The salvation here is that we become part of God's kingdom right now under the leadership of Jesus, our King. That goes into the new heaven and the new earth. That's the promise of salvation. So what does he say here? Whoever believes that whoever has faith, because we're saved by grace through faith, whoever has faith and is baptized. Now, does that mean that you have to be baptized in order to be saved? That's not what Jesus is saying, although we do believe in the necessity of baptism. But baptism is about public obedience. There was never such a thing as private baptism in the time of Jesus. Baptism was a very public thing. And when Jesus says, whoever believes and is baptized, he's saying effectively, whoever has faith and publicly obeys me will be saved. Our faith always leads to action. Action doesn't save us, but faith always leads to action, particularly action surrendered to Jesus as our king. But whoever does not believe it's not saying whoever does not believed, God is striking them down, God is condemning them. Whoever is not, does not believe, whoever refuses to have faith, is condemned by their own refusal to have faith. People who refuse to believe, who refuse to surrender to the kingship of Jesus in their lives and in this world, are condemned because of that refusal. A very real thing. So the command is to go into all the creation and proclaim, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. The promise is that whoever believes and is baptized will become part of that kingdom reality and will go forward with Jesus Christ as king to see the salvation of the world. Whoever refuses to believe will be condemned and will not be part of that redemptive activity of Jesus in the world to bring the world under his kingdom lordship. And then Jesus says here, now if you do this, if you do this, there will be signs. There will be indicators that this is happening. The signs are visible evidence and confirmation of what Jesus is doing here. Visible evidence and confirmation. Now, this is often misunderstood. Uh, sometimes, what people do, they reduce it down just to this list. I think this list is not e- exhaustive, it's indicative. The list here of things, of signs, are examples, are for instances. The second thing we do is we tend to make this list of things very particular, very narrow. And I'm going to show you in a moment that I think they're much broader than we realize. Now that doesn't invalidate the particularity of these items here. In other words, when it talks about casting out demons, even though there's a, a, a larger understanding of that, in the particular, it does involve casting out demons. And every single thing on this list occurred within the first 200 years of the church. Every single thing, from snakes being, you know, people being bitten by snakes, which happened to Paul on the Isle of Malta, uh, to people drinking poison and not dying. Uh, there are several instances of that in the, uh, in, in the 100s uh, of those kinds of things happening. So all of these things happen particularly... In the early history of the church, but have continued to happen throughout the history of the church. Uh, a third, probably a side comment here, is that the reference to snakes. I don't think it's telling us that we should become one of those snake-handling churches. You know, there, there are some number of churches, mostly in the United States. I mean, come on, most of the weird stuff in Christianity has got to come out of the U.S., right? Uh, you know, there some churches in the states that think, "Oh, we got to handle snakes and." And, you know, we get bit and we're not going to die. And, and I'm not advocating that, by the way. I don't like snakes all that much. Uh, and I'm not too keen on handling them. Uh, and uh, so anyway, uh, that's just a, just a side note. So what are these signs? And what is Jesus talking about here? What is going to happen? This is the promise of things that will happen if we go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, including people, and people start experiencing the promise, the fulfillment of the promise of salvation, entering into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, becoming part of his kingdom advancement, what are some of the things that's going to happen? And he says, these signs are going to accompany those who believe. So it requires faith. If we don't have faith, we won't see these things. And many times in the history of the church, the church has not had faith to see some things happen. So we need faith. We also need to do this in the name of Jesus. Now when Jesus says, do this in my name, what he's saying is, do this under obedience to me, do this as I would do it, do this under my leadership, under my command. He's not saying, go and you know, pick up many snakes and, and you can just have faith that if they bite you, uh, you're, nothing's going to happen to you. I guarantee you, if Jesus doesn't command you, and you go into the London Zoo and jump into the the, whatever it is with a cobra, and the cobra bites you, you'll probably die. Uh, And I won't have any sympathy for you whatsoever, because we're not supposed to do that, okay? Does that make sense? So what are the signs? What are the things that are promised that are going to happen for us? Well, first of all, he says, we will cast out demons, And certainly, even today, we cast out demons. That's one of the things that I love to do. I love to see people set free from the demonic. But it's more than that. I believe that this sign is a promise that we will overcome the demonic and the power of evil will no longer control lives. So this is not just casting out a few individual demons... This is Jesus telling us that we will go into places and see the power of the demonic fall and see the power of evil overcome by the good news of Jesus Christ. And this has happened repeatedly throughout history. You can look at Ireland, for example, and the salvation of Ireland under the leadership of Patrick and other uh, ancient Irish saints to see how the power of evil fell with the proclamation of the gospel to the whole creation. Then he says, "We will speak in new tongues." Certainly this happened on the day of Pentecost, they spoke in new tongues. But if we limit it to that, I think we miss it. I think what Jesus is promising us here is that we will overcome language, culture, and other barriers that separate us as human beings. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. It wasn't just the outpouring of the Holy Spirit It wasn't just a blessing that happened that day. It wasn't just people getting saved, but it was people coming together from all kinds of cultural backgrounds, hearing the gospel in their own language, responding together so that Jews and Gentiles no longer had a barrier between them, but were able to come together under the kingship of Jesus Christ. This church is an example of this. Look at us from so many cultures And so many things that have separated people, so many barriers have been overcome just in this fellowship because of the proclamation of the gospel to all creation. We are a sign, and I tell you folks, everybody that hears about this church and sees this church recognizes almost instantly that we're a sign, even non-Christians when they see that we come together from all these cultural backgrounds, when they see that we're together with all these different age groups from, you know, from white hair to no hair, when, when they see the, the, the generations that are there, when they see the socioeconomic backgrounds coming together, when they see that our eldership has people from several different nations and cultures in it, not just one monocultural, mono kind of look, they know that God is real. They know that something is happening there. That's a sign. We are a sign. That's speaking in new tongues. Then what is this pick up snakes with our hands? You know, if Jesus isn't telling us to do that, and certainly he's not telling us to do that, I think what he's saying here is that as we proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, we will overcome that which is hostile to human life in this world. We will not capitulate to disease we will not capitulate to sickness we will not capitulate to disasters it's no accident that the church of jesus christ throughout history has been at the forefront of education in the world has been at the forefront of establishing hospitals have been at the forefront of disaster relief The only reason why we have so many different aid agencies today is because we have agencies like the Red Cross that started out by lifting up the cross of Christ and said, in the name of Jesus, we can't let people continue to suffer in the disasters that happen to this world. This is a sign. This is a reality. It's a promise that as we're proclaiming the gospel to all creation, we can overcome that which is hostile to human life in this world. What about drinking deadly poison? And by the way, there were a number of incidents of this happening uh, in the early church. And even more recently, there have been stories of people who had eggs that have been poisoned, because eggs are very easy to poison. And people serve them to Christians, expecting them to die, and they don't. And they're like, what's happening here? I mean, it's a fulfillment of this. But I think it's also a promise that as we encounter the things that poison life in this world, we will overcome them and they will not be able to harm us i know a lot of people are afraid to go into to, to crime ridden areas under the leadership of the holy spirit I, I remember a number of years ago we were in a state uh, a city in the united states uh with a group of the, us for a conference uh and we had a guy that uh, needed some help, and we don't give money. We haven't given money to people for years because we don't want to used on drugs. He wanted money for housing, and so we said, okay, we'll take you, and I'll pay for your room in this place. And, and it took us to a very, very difficult part of town, and the couple that were with us, they were feeling very, very nervous because it was really... Uh, a bit uncomfortable and uh, and and this guy that was with us was getting into an argument with the guy that ran the shelter and i'm kind of in the middle of all this you know and karen and and our two friends are in the car thinking come on rod get out get out come on run run let's run, run, run away run away and i'm not I, I, it doesn't even bother me i'm totally at peace because i know the junk that poisons life in this world will not be able to harm me when i'm doing the will of jesus Now, this doesn't mean, you know, that I'm going to act foolishly. But when I do the will of Jesus, I know I do it in safety. And I know that even if I lose my life under the obedience of Jesus Christ, I gain everything. I gain everything. This is a sign. This is a sign that accompanies us as we go out into the world. And, of course, he says, lay hands on the sick. And obviously this does mean we are to pray for the sick. And we do that here at City Temple. But I think it's also saying that as we encounter those who are weak and ill, who have experienced that which distorts and corrupts human life, that we will overcome these things. (laughs) And notice that the promise here, he says, you know they'll lay hands on sick people and they will recover. It's important to understand what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that everybody we lay hands on will be healed. That's not the promise. Literally, what he says is that everybody we lay hands on will have what is good, will have wellness, or will have wholeness. That even in the midst of our sickness, sometimes, and there are always cases. Where we pray and we pray and we pray for people and we want them to be healed and and they're not healed and we don't blame that on any lack of faith or anything like that, but we just understand in this world that sometimes, uh, you know, it doesn't, not everybody's healed and sometimes people are healed and they then later die, which happens to all of us, by the way, who gets healing until Jesus comes again, you know. But there's a dynamic here that as we lay hands on people, as we encounter the sick, as we come into contact with them, not from a distance, but in close contact with them, that as we minister to them, they will experience that which is good. And they can experience the wholeness of the Lord, which hopefully will happen when they're physically healed. But sometimes it happens when they're emotionally healed or relationally healed, or healed in a number of other dynamics. And sometimes it happens even when in the midst of their difficulties, they experience the wholeness of God. Through salvation in Jesus Christ. These are the signs that will accompany us. This is the promise of Jesus for us as we go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. Well, we could do that. Say, if you're going to work tomorrow, I mean, how would you do that? Now, I'm not saying you get up on your desk, obviously, and preach to everybody. But you know, you can stand outside your building. And you don't have to do this out loud if you feel silly about it, but you probably it's good if you can, or at least slightly under your voice. Stand outside your building and say, Jesus Christ is king over this business. Jesus Christ is king over this building. And I proclaim this good news. And Jesus, I ask you to reign in this place. If you're going to go into a a meeting at work, maybe with a difficult client before you walk in that meeting. Jesus Christ is king over this meeting. He's king over my life. And this is good news that the kingdom of God comes everywhere in this world. And I proclaim this. You can be walking down the street in London tomorrow and say, Jesus Christ is king over this city. Jesus Christ is king over my block of flats. Jesus Christ is king over my street Jesus Christ is king over my neighborhood and you walk around and you proclaim the gospel that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead so the kingdom of God will come into this place and we can do that wherever we are we can do that in the woods we can do that in the city we can proclaim this good news to all of creation and the promise is that through all of this, the Lord will be with us, the Lord will work with us, and the Lord will confirm this proclamation of the gospel in our lives. This is our reality. This is what we were saved for. Our destiny is not to huddle in a corner somewhere until Jesus comes and rescues us from a foul world that we have no authority over. Our destiny is to step forward, even at the cost of our lives in this world, knowing that Jesus Christ is king and will have his way over all creation. Father God, thank you for this reality. I pray, Father, that you would help us to see these signs even this week, even as we go into the workplace tomorrow, even as we walk the streets of London tomorrow, that we would see these signs, even in our homes as we proclaim the gospel, even in our streets as we proclaim the gospel, that we would see these signs. Wherever we are, in all our relationships, we would see these signs. And that the world would know that Jesus Christ is the King.